0: Shalom and blessings. This is Pastor Clifton McDowell Sr. here at the Church of God of East New York located in the heart of Brooklyn. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast and I pray this week's sermon blesses and encourages you for the journey. God bless. Now enjoy the sermon. And so today we celebrate fathers who are an integral integral part of the fabric of our society. Whether we agree with it or whether we know that or not, our fathers matter. Fathers matter, right? And there are a lot of jokes between Mother's Day and Father's Day where where it says, you know, a lot of people take Mother's Day real seriously, but we don't take Father's Day as seriously. And I want you to know that we here today, we are taking Father's Day seriously because you matter. The statistic actually says this, that... Fatherless homes are four times more likely to experience poverty than a home with a father in it. And that's not even about what the man does, that's just about his presence. And so I just want you to know that regardless of what you do, we appreciate you for you. A lot of people appreciate you because of what you do, but we appreciate you for who you are. And so we just wanted to celebrate you here today Today is also a special day, not just because of Father's Day, but because it is June 19th, it is Juneteenth. And Juneteenth, even though it will be federally observed tomorrow, is a very important day, especially for people of the African diaspora, because it was the day in America where freedom truly rang for everybody. There were a couple hundred years where July 4th was going on and people were celebrating freedom and independence and slaves could not partake in that same celebration. But we realized that Juneteenth was the day in which everybody was able to say, we are now independent and free. And so we celebrate this day together. And as I start with the word and as I start to get into the word, the title of this sermon will draw both on the themes of Father's Day and Juneteenth, but the title of this sermon is simply: "What a father isn't supposed to leave behind." What a father isn't supposed to leave behind." In Scripture, we see that genealogies matter to God. There are many times in the Bible where you will see a chapter just dedicated to letting people know who the father of this one was and who the father of that one was. That this one begat him and that one begat her. And it's a very important part. Why? Because our histories and our genealogies and our ancestry really matters to God. One of the things we know that the Bible is clear about is in Proverbs 13, where it simply talks about what a good father or a good man is supposed to do for his kids. It simply says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, not just to his children, y'all, but to his grandchildren. But it also says, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous, We celebrate good fathers and we celebrate good men who leave behind an inheritance for those behind them. However, at the same time, if the Bible is clear that there is something that fathers and good men are supposed to leave behind, that means it is also clear about what good men and fathers are not supposed to leave behind. Listen, Everything that you have right now as a man or as a father is not meant to be left to your kids. I'll say that again. Everything that you have right now in your life is not meant to be left to your kids. Many times we hyper-focus on the financial gifts and we hyper-focus on the physical and material things that we want to leave for our children. And that is important, that should be done. The scripture says it's necessary. But too often we don't pay attention to the things that we're passing on to the next generation that we didn't mean to give to them. Too often we're passing things along with those material and financial gifts that we did not actually mean to pass on to the next generation. And I'll prove this to you in our next verses of Scripture. It's a little long, but I'm going to talk to you about three men today. A grandfather, a father, and a son. Three men, three kings of Israel. A grandfather, a father, and a son. And what we'll start to see is that there are things that we should give our kids, and there are things that we shouldn't give our kids. And that's why we're talking about what a father isn't supposed to leave behind. We're going to start in 2 Kings 21. And it's going to be a little bit of time of reading this scripture, but I want you to listen very carefully for what's happening with the grandfather, with the father, and also with the son. It reads as such, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites, he rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem, I will put my name in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritualists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He turned the carved Asherah pole he had made And he put it in the temple of which the Lord had said to David and his son Solomon in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all of the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land that I gave their ancestors. If only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. But the people did not not listen. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. He led them in such a dangerous path that they did more evil than their enemies. The Lord said through his prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and give them into the hands of their enemies. They will be looted and plundered by all their enemies and they have done evil in my eyes and have aroused my anger from the day their ancestors came out of Egypt until this day. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. It says Manasseh rested with his ancestors and was buried in his palace garden, the garden of Uzzah. Now, that's the grandfather. We're about to move on to the father. It says in Ammon, his son succeeded him as king. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. His mother's name was Meshulameth, daughter of Harus. She was from Jatbah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father, Worshiping the idols his father had worshipped and bowing down to them, he forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to him. Then the people of the land killed all who plotted against King Ammon, and they made Josiah his son in his place. He was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah his son succeeded him as king. Now that was a lot of dark Scripture, if we're going to be honest, is a story of two kings of Israel. One being a grandfather, who, after his father did good in the land, Manasseh said, I'm going to take all of the things that my father righted and I'm going to make them wrong again. He set up Asherah poles, which are staffs and these poles that are set up in the land that are made as monuments to the kingdom of darkness, monuments to other gods. He set up idols throughout the land and he left them there. He did so much evil, the scripture said he did more evil than the enemies of the Israelites. God himself said he did more evil than those who I destroyed to save y'all. He did more evil than them. Now, here's the interesting thing that we really have to pay attention to. His son takes over after he reigns for 55 years. And what does his son do? The same exact thing. He follows in the way of his father. The Asherah poles are left standing. The idols are left standing. The high places are left standing. The temple is left desecrated and he reigns in Israel for two years and leaves everything that his father left in place the way it was. What am I saying here today? I'm saying that they didn't just pass down good, bad things to to their grandson who is Josiah. They also did pass down some good things, right? They passed down the crown, they passed down the kingdom, and they also passed down Josiah's life. But the fact of the matter is, the things that they struggled with, the idols, the Asherah poles, and also all of the high places that they left in the the land, those things are the things that caused the biggest struggles in Josiah's life. Grandpa and daddy didn't realize that what they were doing was setting the next generation up for ruin. They didn't realize that as they set these idols and set these Asherah poles up, and as they continued to have their ancestry live in this way, what they left behind left destruction for their grandson. So much so that God says through his prophets, I am turning away from the kingdom of Israel. So what happens to Josiah? Josiah inherits the kingdom at eight after his father Ammon is assassinated by the people. Eight years old. This boy becomes king. And as he becomes king, he's looking at a divided kingdom. He's looking at a defeated kingdom. He's looking at a destroyed kingdom. And he's also looking at a kingdom that has been given to other gods. That is what his father and his grandfather left for him. That was their inheritance. Regardless of all of the riches, regardless of the crown, and regardless of the kingdom, the biggest issues he had in his life are not from what he did himself. It's from what his grandfather and father left behind for him. Josiah did not create the problems he was contending with. He inherited them. Grandpa and dad left them behind. Let me ask you this. There are great things that we're looking to pass to the next generation. I know that. But what are the things that you're leaving in the land for the next generation to contend with that they shouldn't have to? What are the actual poles that you're leaving behind? What what are the idols that you're leaving behind in the land that your kids will grow up and have to fight against when they should not be there? If we're honest, some struggles should not get past your generation. Some struggles should not get past your lifeline. But what are we unintentionally leaving behind for our kids? I like to get as transparent as possible with you all. And I I preached a sermon uh, uh, last year this time, actually, about the fact that wounds that aren't healed don't die. They actually kill. Right. And I told you that I've been going through this process in my own life where I knew that I had some wounds from my life and and from my childhood and and from what happened to me that I needed to deal with and and that I needed to go to therapy. I I told you all that. And this year, I started therapy. At the beginning of the year, I started therapy, and it's one of the greatest things that I've ever done, to be honest. But I had to start to deal with some really broken issues inside of me. One of the most broken issues inside of me that I, I had to start to deal with is the fact that when difficult things happen in my life, my gut reaction is to run. Mm-hmm. All right. when, when tough things happen to me, when things get hard, when, when I don't want to deal with the tension, I run. All right. All right. I leave. I get away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. A- and one of the, the most difficult things that I've had to contend with is the fact that that's not a pattern that I just developed myself. It's a pattern that I learned. It's, it's a pattern that I inherited. It's a pattern that I took from those who came before me. And what I had to do is I had to do some internal work that I'm still doing right now, where I had to realize that God is calling me to be the buffalo and not the cow. <laughs> God, God is calling me to be the buffalo and not the cow. You see, When a storm comes, a cow sees the storm and runs away from it. And what happens when the cow runs away from the storm is it actually only prolongs its time in the storm. But the buffalo, having wisdom, when it sees the storm coming, it runs into the storm because it realizes that if the storm is coming this way and I'm going that way, I can shorten my time in the storm if I just go through it. What am I saying? That if we don't deal with these struggles that we're dealing with, I will teach my children to be the cow instead of the buffalo if I'm, not, if I'm not careful about not tearing down the idols and the Asherah poles that I've left in my life. If I'm not careful, there will be another generation of Atkinsons that run from their problems instead of dealing with them. So what do I do? I have to do what Josiah did. Now, Josiah became the king of Israel at eight years old. And when he became the king of Israel, it's almost incredible his name. Because the name Josiah actually means restorer of worship. If you look up the name Josiah, it means restorer of worship. And so his daddy, even though they were doing dirt, They named him the right name because that was his destiny. And what happens to Josiah is he starts to follow not in the way of his daddy and not in the way of his granddaddy, but in the way of his great-granddaddy, Hezekiah. And what Josiah starts to do is he starts to clean up the temple. He starts to search through the temple. And when they go through the temple, they discover the scriptures of God. They, They discover the writings of scripture. They're brought to Josiah and Josiah tears his clothes, realizing that he is sitting in the mess that his daddy and his granddaddy left behind. He didn't know any better because that's the mess he grew up in. That's the mess he was born into. That's the mess he went to school in. That's the mess that he knew. But when he started to learn about better, he started to do better. And so what happens is he takes these scriptures, he reads them, he tears his clothes, he says this is not how it is supposed to be in the land of the living, in the land of the God of the living. So he goes to war. He goes to war with every idol with every Asherah pole, with every high place that is in the land that was dedicated to another God. He goes through every last one and he tears them all down. He tears down the idols of bad conflict resolution where we can't even talk to each other the right way. He tears down the idol of bad communication where we can't even talk about our feelings in a healthy manner without getting angry or leaving the room. He starts to tear down the idols of poverty that are living in the land. He tears down the idols of mass incarceration that are living in the land. He tears down the idols of oppression that are living in the land because he knows that if he is to restore worship, there are some things that have to be destroyed first. He didn't start with singing songs. He started with the tearing down of the idols. In order to see worship truly restored in your family, what first needs to be torn down? In order to see a true worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords arise in your family and arise in your household, what do you first need to tear down? coming close to my end, Josiah spends his lifetime, his lifetime restoring the worship of God in Judah and in Jerusalem. He spends his lifetime doing this. He spends his lifetime giving his all to make sure that his descendants don't have to contend with what he contended with from his father and his grandfather. And he leaves Israel such a much better place that he's able to go at peace. He's able to go at peace to his God. And what I'm asking us here today is this. There are some messes that we have inherited. There are also some messes that we have created. And I want you to take some time and search yourself. What is it about you that you don't want to end up in them? What is it about yourself? What, are, what is some of the brokenness? What's what some of the depravity? What, what, what are some of the things that you know you don't want to hand down to your kids? Because it's a mistake to think. It's a mistake to think that just because you're struggling with it and just because you're dealing with it, that you will be the only one struggling with it or dealing with it. What you don't take care of will not just take care of you, it'll take care of your family. What you don't manage will not just come back to manage you, it will come back to manage your family. I'm ending with these two stories. Jesus, as a baby, was born. He was born in a place where he was pushed out so much that there was no space for him. King of kings, Lord of lords, was born in where they feed animals. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, the savior of humanity, was born where they feed animals. There was no space for him. There were some shepherds out in the field. And when the shepherds out in the field were just doing their thing, angels appeared to them. They were shocked. The angel said, don't be scared. The Lord of glory was just born. Here's how you'll know who he is. Look for the child who's been pushed out, abandoned, and forgotten. Look for the child who is outside of where a newborn baby should be. Look for the child that is outside in the cold instead of inside in the warmth that's where you'll find your Messiah. That's where you'll find your God, the one who's forgotten, left out, and pushed out. So we know that Jesus identifies with those who are forgotten, left out, and pushed out. But here's the thing. There's a story when he starts his ministry, Lord have mercy. There's a story when Jesus starts his ministry and he's with his disciples. He's teaching and he's preaching and he's doing all of these great things in front of them. And there are these parents who are getting rambunctious because they're seeing the good things that Jesus is doing and they're saying, we want that for our kids. We want that goodness. We want that mercy. We want the miraculous for our kids. So they start pushing at the disciples and saying, please, can you get the master to touch our kids? The disciples are like, they're not a part of the program. They're not not on the show flow. We did not have them in the order of service. We just need y'all to chill out. Jesus hears, he hears somehow, and he gets indignant. He gets angry, he gets frustrated, he gets mad. So mad that he rebukes the 12 disciples who are to become the leaders of the modern church. He rebukes every single one of them. And in my mind, I believe that Jesus is a little bit gangster and that he blacked out for a second. I believe that Jesus was so gangster that he blacked out and had a flashback to the stories he probably heard from Mary and Joseph about how when he was a child, that he was pushed out. That somebody said he wasn't a part of the schedule. That somebody said he wasn't a part of what was supposed to happen. I believe Jesus had a flashback to the day of his birth where he couldn't even find a place inside. And he said in himself, far be it from me, To allow what happened to me to happen to this next generation. Far be it from me to allow me being pushed out, me being forgotten, just to watch the same thing happen to the next generation. Jesus steps in and he challenges the oppression that caused difficulty in his own life. What are you doing to make sure that the next generation doesn't experience what you experienced? The things outside of the will of God that you weren't supposed to encounter, what are you doing to make sure that the next generation is no longer contending with those things? We're going to end here. And as we end here, I know that today is a special day. This is a special day because of Juneteenth. And in the story of Juneteenth, we know, we know that there were some slaves in Texas who weren't actually slaves. For two years, there were slaves doing slave things when they were actually freed persons. For for, for two years, they were in Texas serving a master that was no longer their master, going to fields and tilling fields that some of them became their own, actually, if we look at history. We, We look at this group of slaves in Texas That because they didn't hear that they were free, they kept working as if they weren't. And I don't know who needs to hear this up in this house today. But I've come to give a proclamation that the things that held you back, the things that almost destroyed you, you are free. You don't have to stay there. It doesn't have to stay like that. You are free for two years, for two years. They were freed persons living as if they were slaves. Now I wonder how many of us have been living victim to things we've had to contend with from older generations. Living with things in the land, idols in the land, Asherah poles in the land, high places in the land that we shouldn't have had to contend with, but we didn't know that we have the power, we have the agency, we have the advocacy to be able to start to tear those things down. It don't have to be like the way that it is. And so what I'm telling you right now are four proclamations of freedom over you and your life, over you and your children, over you and your children's children. Here's the first proclamation. The things that your generations before you left for you in the land, you don't have to live with them anymore the things that have been taking up space in your life, the things that have been taking up room in your life. I told you what it was for me. I run. I run when things are getting hard, but there is an edict of freedom from the Lord saying, I don't have to live that way anymore. I can face like the buffalo. I can face the difficult things that are coming and be made stronger by the difficult things instead of running from them you are free to not have to contend with the things that your elders left behind for you in the land. Here's the second proclamation of freedom. The second proclamation of freedom is actually forgiveness. Forgiveness for those of the past who have hurt you. I realize that Father's Day isn't always fun for some people. That it's a reminder of fathers who haven't been there. It's a reminder of fathers who may have passed. But there is a freedom and forgiveness that you can give to them even if they never asked for it. And so I proclaim that there is freedom in this place for you to forgive the elders who came before you even for things they haven't asked forgiveness for. You can free yourself by forgiving them. You're free. Is the third thing. The third thing is you have the freedom to intentionally think about what it is that you are passing along to the next generation. I said in the beginning, a lot of us think about the wealth we're passing down, the art we're passing down, the houses we're passing down. But what about your communication? What about the way you treat your wife? What about the interactions you've had with your kids? What about how you really act when you're not at church? You are free to not pass that down if you deal with it. If you deal with it, your kids won't have to tear down what you could have torn down. You are free to tear those things down in your own life. And lastly, y'all know me. As a people of the African diaspora, you're also free to not just do this for yourself and your own family but you're free to make sure that we are teaching these kinds of words and these kinds of edicts of freedom to others as well. There are other people who have not yet heard the proclamation that you can give them. There are other people still living as though they are slaves when they should be free. And you can give that proclamation to them. Let's stand together. Here's what I would really like for us to do. I would like everybody just to close their eyes and bow their heads right now. Sort of a heavy word for Father's Day, but it's a necessary word for Father's Day. It's a necessary word because we know, we know, God, we know that the most difficult things that our children have to deal with should not come from us. The most difficult things that our grandchildren, and our progeny and our legacy has to deal with, they shouldn't be things that we should have dealt with. And so right now, I actually want to give us a time of reflection. I'm going to give you two to three minutes. What are the things in your life that God is saying you need to tear it down? You need to tear it down. It cannot be your roommate any longer. It can't stay in your space any longer. It needs to be torn down in your life so that you do not contend with this, and so that your next generation does not contend with this. What needs to be torn down? I'm going to give you two or three minutes just to spend that time asking God, God, what must be torn down in my life? Show me what the idol, the asherah pole, or the high place is that needs to be destroyed in my life. Take this time and pray to your God and reflect and listen. What is the Lord saying to you? What needs to be torn down? What needs to be destroyed? As we come to a close with this sermon, I'm a historian by by nature and by trade, right? Like I, I just love history. And one of the things that I know about history is this that when the slaves, when the enslaved persons were actually free through Juneteenth, there were a lot of them that didn't actually stay free for a few reasons. One reason why they didn't stay free was because they were so comfortable with bondage that they didn't know what to do on their own with freedom. And because of that, Another system that really was just slavery by another name, sharecropping, was able to pop up in the United States of America. And these same enslaved persons who were now free found themselves on the same plantations with their same masters. What am I saying? I'm saying that your job today isn't just to have freedom proclaimed over you. It's now to live like you're free. It's now to go forth and take the chains off and make sure that you don't fall for slavery by another name. It's to make sure that you go forward and capture all that it means to be free. Not just for you, but for your kids and also for your children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But it's not just physical wealth. It should be physical wealth. It should also be freedom. It should be freedom left behind in your legacy. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do if we could all close our eyes. I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hand if this resonates with you. If this resonates with you, I just want you to lift your hand as your eyes are closed. If you know that you need the freedom to deal with the things that other generations have left behind in your hands and that you need to tear down some Asherah poles in your life right now, I want you to raise your hand. If you're like some of these idols need to be torn down, thank you for being honest. I want you to raise your hand. Thank you for being honest. If you're also saying, I don't just want to tear them down for me, but I also want to tear down what's in me For the next generation I want you to raise your hand as well If you're saying It's not just about what I was given But it's about what I don't want to give I want you to raise your hand Because you are free to destroy those things In the mighty name of Jesus And lastly if you know You need to offer forgiveness That you're actually bitter about the things That some people have left behind in your life You're angry about it It shouldn't have been this way If that's you and you know you need to offer forgiveness so you can be free, I want you to also raise your hand. Thank you, thank you for your honesty. Here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pray for you, but this week you have to reimagine your life with what freedom looks like. You're gonna have to take inventory of those things that need to be torn down, and you're gonna have to do something actionable to tear it down. I told you mine, I had to go to therapy. I've been in therapy for six months, right? Dealing with some of my stuff. You're going to have to do something different to get a different result. And so I want you to be free to use your radical imagination to think about, God, what do I need to do differently so that I can live free and stay free? I'm going to pray over you today. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God, We recognize, Lord, that there are things in our lives that shouldn't have been placed in our lives. There are Asherah poles and idols in our lives that shouldn't have been given to us, Lord. But we know, Lord God, that just like on Juneteenth, there is a proclamation in this place that we are free. We don't have to live in bondage to those things anymore. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to tear down things that aren't even the mess that we created. But Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to tear them down anyway. Lord God, second thing I pray for is I pray that we would be intentional about what we're giving to the next generation. That we would be intentional about what we're passing along. And Father, I pray that we would deal with ourselves, we would deal with our stuff about the things that need to be torn down in our own lives. God, would you give us the strength and the courage to do that. And Father, lastly, God, I pray for the freedom to forgive, God. God, we know freedom, we know forgiveness, Lord God, is is actually taking the chains off of yourself. Because as long as I don't forgive this person, I'm still tied and tethered to them. But the second I offer forgiveness, I am free from who I was just tethered to. So Father, I pray that you would give us the opportunity and the strength to forgive. And Lord God, I don't just declare, but I pray that it would work itself out in every life. Lord God, I pray that freedom would look good on the Church of God of East New York. God, I pray that freedom would exist in every one of our homes, that it would exist in every one of our lives, that we would do the work to be free, Lord God, and that we would also realize that we've already been free. We've just got to walk in that, Jesus. Would Juneteenth not just be Juneteenth because of history, but would it be a day of freedom because of the decisions that are being made right now in this room? So, Father, we declare freedom over your people, and we thank you that our chains are gone. We've been set free, that Christ, our Savior, has rescued us. In your mighty and precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Wow, that was a great message. Thank you for joining us this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and tag us in your social stories at C-O-G-E-N-Y. Thank you to those who have given generously to this ministry in the past. And if you'd like to become a contributor, head over to cogen enycom That's C-O-G-E-N-Y.com. And just click on the Offering and Donations tab. Again, thank you so much. Now God bless.